Welcome to Deep CV Diving, a podcast where I dive deep into the CVs of industry leaders to find the pearls of wisdom to help you in your career. I'm your host, Graham Seldon, and as an executive recruiter and career coach with over 25 years experience, I've conducted thousands of interviews and I never get bored. And that's because by carefully asking the right questions and being interested in people's stories, no interview is ever the same. And there is often much to learn about what drives leaders in our field. After each recording, I reflect on some of the most salient points in the interview and go back and take a deep dive into what they've said. With each guest, I explore what steps did they take to get where they are now, what advice would they give to their younger selves, and how have they navigated the highly political and competitive businesses they work in. Let's dive deep and find out. My guest in this episode is Hong Kong-based Natalie Trong. Natalie is a senior brand and marketing leader with over 20 years experience working across professional and financial services. She has a Bachelor of Commerce, an Executive MBA, as well as being a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and Harvard Business School. She is currently the Chief Marketing Officer for Mercer, based in Hong Kong, and was appointed partner of the firm in 2020. When she's not working, she volunteers using her incredible experience to support the Marketing Society of Hong Kong and the Hong Kong Gay Games. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me, Graham. I'm I'm surprised you have time to join us with all the study that you do. (laughs) I'm a huge believer in studying, Graham. If it's one thing I always say to my team, my expectation of the team is to be 1% better each day. Oh. Um, and throughout my career, every you know two to three years, I have invested in education of some sort, whether it's executive education or just education. I'm a huge believer in it. It's great. Well, let's talk about your very first entree into education, which was right back at the beginning when you chose to do a Bachelor of Commerce degree. Now, why did you choose that particular line of study? I was one of those 18-year-olds, Graham, that actually finished high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. My parents were always in business. Um, I actually didn't want to go to university. I actually said to my mom, I'm going to go to travel school. And and she said, I don't care what you do after university, but you're going to university or you're going to have to find your own way around in this world, which meant I'm kicking you out (laughs) of the home. So I decided to choose the Bachelor of Commerce because for me, it was a business degree with, um, I guess, options for people like me who who didn't really know what they wanted to specialise in, but still wanted to be doing business. Hmm. And has it served you thinking back to that degree? Has it it been relevant or useful in your line of work? (laughs) Such a long time ago. I don't mean to uh, share my age really, but it's been such a long time ago. I actually love the whole university experience, Graham. Mm. I'm not sure that what I was taught at university <laughs> from a marketing perspective, the only thing I remember was the four P's that which still holds true today. Apart from there are more, there are more there. Are, there are seven, I think. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there are. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me about your first real job then. So you graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce. What did you do next? Still didn't know what I wanted to do, if I'm honest, Graham. So I actually um, wanted to travel uh, and that's all I wanted to do. So I wanted to find a job that would allow me to travel. And so working in a call center was what I found that I could do. It was nine to five, earned enough money so that I could travel. It wasn't too stressful. Um, I actually 
didn't feel like it was a real job when I was working in the call centre because I felt like I was coming to work with a bunch of my mates and we were doing really, you know, fun work and it wasn't hard. Uh, and then I became a team leader in the call centre and I think it was being given the responsibility of looking after 10 humans every day and making sure that they were okay and actually doing the work. That's when I think I felt like that was my first real job. Right. Yeah. When you say you wanted to travel, so many Australians that we interview say that they took a job because they thought they could travel. What do you think it is about being Australian that makes you want to travel so much? We're so far from everything. <laughs> we're so far from the whole rest of the world, Graham. So as soon as you finish, um, you just want to get out there and get out and see what the rest of the world looks like. But, you know, in saying that, um, Australia is such a multicultural melting mm -hmm. pot now. Like I, I love, you know, I've gone back a couple of times. Obviously, we were stuck uh, in Hong Kong because of COVID. But going back, it's incredible. The culture, the 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 things, you know, the, the type of people that have come settled in Australia. And mm -hmm. you find everything in Australia now that you can get from the rest of the world. So I'm not sure that young Australians still want to travel the way that I did. But certainly back then it was because we were so far from everything and we thought there was no culture in Australia, which is not, not true at all. We just wanted to all. explore other cultures. That's right. Now, your career has spanned both financial and professional services, which is it's slightly unusual. It's not overly unusual, but there are not a lot of people who've got both financial and professional services. I'm interested to hear what you think the differences are between those two industries from a sort of marketing perspective. I'd say there's probably three main differences, Graham, uh, mm -hmm. between those two industries. Uh, I'd say target audience, uh, the budget, obviously financial services has much bigger budgets than professional services. And I think the pro for professional services is the pace at which you can get things done. What I found in professional services is it moves a little faster just because there's not that regulatory oversight that you find in financial services. Mm -hmm. So they're the differences, yeah. And when, when you think about the marketing strategy for financial services versus professional services, have you seen a difference there in terms of how you go to market? I'd hate to make this comment based on just fin services or professional services, if I'm honest. Marketing, regardless of what industry you're in or regardless of where you're working, there's always going to be a difference. Your job as a marketer, I believe, is to make sure whatever you're doing is relevant for the business and is adding value to the business in terms of achieving its objectives. So I'm sorry, I can't give you a definitive in terms of marketing in fin services you know from a b2c perspective mm -hmm. it's easy right because your job is to sell credit cards or sell home loans or sell new accounts it's much easier uh, but if you're in the institutional or corporate space once again that's very different which is it's very similar to professional services where mm -hmm. you're thinking about the whole you know client lifetime value mm -hmm. how do i get this client bring them on board then how do i continue to grow them um, as opposed to just acquiring them and going, see you later. Now, Ten years ago, you were appointed as, with the job title of Digital and Innovation Marketing Manager for Westpac Banking Group. That job title sounds quite ahead of its time. What, what, what was it? You know, it has been, well, it was, and has certainly been one of my favourite roles, uh, Graham, and uh, definitely 
ahead of its time, I think, for two reasons. Uh, I worked for a brilliant leader uh, in Jack Phillips. She was, uh, Jack was constantly keen to push the boundaries in banking. So decided to give me fancy job title <laughs> to help our stakeholders realize that actually we were really serious about making sure that the organization starts thinking in this way around digital and around innovation. And then I guess the second reason was because I was working for Bank of Melbourne at the time, which is part of the Westpac group. Bank of Melbourne is a challenger brand. And so we wanted a role that was always thinking about how do we do things differently from the other big four banks in Australia so that we can continue to win market share from the banks, the other banks. One of the things I've noticed about your career journey is that you've often moved within an organisation into a sort of project type of job, um, whether it's, a, whether it's a, a job title like client experience manager or whether you're doing digital innovation. What is it about you that organisations think, oh, we've got this new flagship thing we need to do. Let's get Natalie to do it. Why you? Oh, gosh, it's <laughs> a great question. I'm not sure you might have to ask <laughs> the organisation. I love transformation work. I love working on big projects. I'm not, um, and I'm very honest about this, uh, especially, you know, when I speak to my teams, when I speak to leaders uh, that interview me or, or people that I'm working with, I'm not very good at the maintenance. So if, if a marketing team is working really well and you want someone to come in and do some incremental, you know, incremental changes, it's, I'm not just the, not that type of marketing leader. I, I love transformational pieces of work that are two or three years, set things up, and then I move on to the next big project. I am, yeah. Transformation projects often require quite a lot of internal influencing and political maneuvering. And, and it's a subject that we touch on frequently in this podcast. How do you influence internally? You know, how do you get organizations to make those big transformational changes? I try and find the right leader to work for to begin with. I want to know who's leading or sponsoring um, at the executive level the project. And I find that's very helpful. So I'm always mindful that transformational pieces require a lot of influence and in stakeholder management, but organizations need to be ready for it. Uh, when an organization is not ready for something like that, you can really quickly tell because the type of leader that they've put in as the executive sponsor is often not ready for someone like me either. So when those big projects come up, I often try and find out who the leader is, find out their appetite for the type of change that we want to create. Are they thinking about this creatively? Do they actually just want a stock standard? Um, and then from there, I'll determine or decide, I guess, if I'm the right person for them. And also I'm very honest about whether or not I think I will be the right person for them. Someone recently said to me, I'm not a marketer for the faint hearted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, which I kind of like because, you know, it's um, big transformational pieces. You need to be creative. You need to be a bit gutsy as well. And you need to be accountable. So you want a leader who's going to be okay with you doing those things. It's interesting that she chooses projects or jobs based on the leadership. The awareness that the leader has to have the appetite for change and not just a stock standard solution. 
And it's great that she has gained this self-awareness and knows herself to be a particular type of marketing practitioner. Sometimes when looking at a career move, it's easy to get seduced by the job title or the scope of the job description. But asking yourself, am I actually the right person for the job? Is this the type of work that gets the best out of me? Are useful assessment questions? Let's return to the interview. Transformation projects can be really quite full on and tiring to to get through. I mean, you mentioned earlier that sometimes they're two, three year projects. How do you stay the distance? I mean, what do you do to make sure that you can keep going and keep motivated? I think that's why I only pick projects that are two or three years. (laughs) (laughs) I don't pick long term five year projects. For me, those pieces of work aren't actually pieces of work. If I'm really honest, I I find my energy and my drive actually comes from the ability to create this vision that we're kind of thinking about now, but what does it look like in two years' time? The ability to lead a team or get people on this journey and get excited about this piece of work. And I think it's really rewarding when you see people going, oh, I get get where we're going now and actually I want to be part of that or actually I don't have the skills, but... Natalie looks like she's the type of person that will actually help me develop those skills to get me there. So for me, a lot of the times when I'm thinking about teams, I don't need you to be the best technical person for the work I need you to do. The Mm -hmm. technical stuff, we'll learn together. I need you just to have the right attitude and and to be able to go, yeah, I'm kind of not really sure where we're going right now, but feels exciting it feels like it's the right move and and I want to be on this journey with you Mm. so that's how I think about it now talking of journeys you like a previous guest or several guests actually moved from Melbourne to Asia for your current job talk us through your decision to move to Hong Kong it was a little bit of a crazy move or decision um we moved to Hong Kong in June 2020 which was Right. right in the thick of the pandemic I'm a huge believer, uh, Graham, in actually not worrying too much about the company or the role. But once again, going back to finding leaders I love to work for, mm-hmm. uh, Renee McGowan was my leader and is still my leader today. I mean, she, she was promoted to the CEO of Asia for, for Mercer, and she asked if I wanted to move to Asia um, to be CMO of Asia. And I'd always wanted to work in Asia. So it was the perfect Um, move not the perfect timing but certainly the perfect move for me to do both those things how did it affect you personally and professionally living in Hong Kong professionally it's been incredibly rewarding I've loved learning the culture I've loved understanding the industry I've loved being part of the marketing society here Mm -hmm. uh, meeting fellow marketers from you know so many different countries with such varied experience from me and then learning from them personally I know every corner of Hong Kong because we were stuck here for two years (laughs) without being able to leave. (laughs) Uh, I've also learned to cook all of my favourite Vietnamese dishes. And uh, those of you listening to this podcast, if you're from Hong Kong, I'm sorry I have to say this, but I haven't found any great Vietnamese restaurants yet. So I've learned to cook all of that. I guess also for me, Graham, it's been a place where I've made some lifelong friends. People often say, Hong Kong is really transient. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't really found that mm. to be the case. I mean, I know I was stuck here during COVID and now things are opening up. People are traveling a lot. And why wouldn't you when, when you're so close, you know, a couple of hours from so many of the exotic places here? Mm. 
but the friends we've made here, I think will be the ones we're going to keep for life. So mm. I've loved it. Yeah. Going back to transformation projects and, and, and marketing strategies for different types of um, products and companies that you've worked for. One of the questions that marketers often get asked is how do you demonstrate return on investment? And given your experience across sector and now in different countries, I'm interested for you to tell us how you think is the best way to measure return on investment. So I think the best way is to have a conversation with the business. I think marketers make this mistake of we've got these 15 marketing metrics and these are the things that the business should use as the KPIs for marketing. And I learned a very long time ago, nobody cares about our 15 KPIs that we have in marketing. Nobody cares. And I apologize if I'm a fit. I don't mean to insult or offend anyone with this comment, but nobody cares about, you know, SOV and, and, you know, marketing funded or marketing engaged revenue or whatever you want to call it. I think the best thing marketers can do is actually sit down with the business and have a conversation with the business. I've worked in organizations and parts of businesses, um, even at Mercer, where one part of the business actually is really interested in acquisition, but then another part of the business actually is really interested in retention and growing share of wallet. So, so there's no right answer to what are the marketing KPIs that you should take to your business. The right answer is actually sit down with the business and work out what value they're looking to you to deliver. That was a great answer to what is often a very difficult question for many marketers, and yet she makes it sound simple and logical. Complex businesses require different marketing strategies. Therefore, the ROI should match what the business, in its different groups and guises, is looking for you and the team to deliver. In your resume, you talk a lot about business development achievements, so share of wallet increase or new business coming in, yet you're a marketer and, and I'm interested to know how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a traditional marketer or do you actually see yourself as somebody who is a marketer but with a real eye on revenue generation and income growth and client development? Yeah, the latter, uh, Graham. I, I see myself and I, you know, one of the things that is really critical for me in terms of taking on roles is what am I accountable for? So let's have a conversation about that. And what I find frustrating sometimes is we have these MQLs and, and I've spoken about this for a number of years now. Nobody cares about the MQLs. Nobody cares how many marketing qualified leads we've thrown onto the sales side of things. What people care about is what have we done with the leads that we've generated? What have we done with the prospects that we've got interested in our brand and want to, to work with us? How have we converted them into clients? So I'm a real believer, especially, you know, the work I've done at Mercer is around, okay, so how do we define marketing generated revenue? And everyone had a different, different definition. For me, it's really simple. We created a campaign. We created the assets that, and all the channels that we've put out to the, the audience that we want to target. The audience has seen that campaign. They've come to our website or they've come to one of our channels and clicked on a link that says, I want to talk to someone. I then pass that on to our BD team or our consulting team or whatever you want to call it in your organization, the sales team. 
And then we measure the revenue that is converted from that lead. Um, so I'm not fussed about throwing a thousand leads to the sales team. I'm more interested in what is our conversion rate? Mm -hmm. Are we sitting at 9% or are we actually are we sitting at 40%? Mm -hmm. And then the revenue that comes from that, can you hand on heart say to the business, this is where the revenues come from. And one of the things that I think has changed it for us at Mercer is we used to send spreadsheets of all this revenue to all the sales leaders. And they'd be like, where did you get these numbers from? And we actually use Salesforce to create a dashboard and all the reporting is now done through Salesforce. So whatever they can see is what we can see. And so there's no question around actually what is this revenue and where did you get this number from? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the things that are really important for marketers uh, to work through with their business. How do you think marketing has changed in the last sort of 20 years of your career? I think two things have changed dramatically in the last 20 years. I think the channels of distributional communication and the speed at which those channels are adopted or removed is what has um, really changed. So what advice would you give somebody who's starting out as a career in marketing now? Like what would you, how would you describe the industry to somebody who said, I think I want to be a marketer? What does being a marketer mean now? <laughs> uh, it's certainly not all glamour and champagne, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say yes to everything and stay curious and learn everything about the marketing process and the craft, both online and offline. Graham, the, the number of people I've met and the number of young marketers coming through that say, actually, I just want to be a metaverse expert, or actually, I'm just only interested in social media, or I just want to do paid. We need those people as well. I mean, we absolutely, if you're certain as a young marketer that all you want to do is paid advertising, then brilliant. I love that you found your calling so early. But if you're still, you're not sure, or you're still trying to work out actually what else has this industry got to offer me? Then my suggestion is to actually continue to stay curious. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I said yes to everything, uh, printing work. I said yes to designing work. I said yes to running an event. I said yes to producing brochures just because I wanted to understand the craft. You also say yes to being a volunteer for lots and lots of things. And my, the next part of my question is really around I said in the intro that you're an active volunteer. Tell us about that part of your life and why you choose the things that you choose to get involved in. I've had the privilege of being out of work in some really great organisations and doing some really great work with some great leaders. And I don't think I would have been here if not for the generosity of time and spirit of many of the mentors and coaches and leaders uh, that have helped me through my career. I love the whole idea of giving back. Um, you'll notice in the volunteering capacities that I often take on it, it is in the, in the marketing space. Mm -hmm. I was asked once, you know, what, why are you only focused on mark, brand and marketing and comms? Why, why do you not want to work in a business or why do you not want to run a business? And I was really lucky after my call centre job that I fell into marketing and have just loved the industry since. And, and I'm I, I love the creativity that comes with it and the business acumen that is attached to, to marketing and brand and comms. When you're volunteering, do you take on jobs where you can just roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty? Or do you take on volunteering roles where you're still the big sort of CMO? <laughs> <laughs> 
that arrogant, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, I take on both. And, right. you know, I've had a mix of both. The gay games, when, you know, we were trying to roll that out in Hong Kong, it was, okay, today you're doing a press release. Okay, today we've got to do a social post. Actually, today we don't know what this logo is supposed to look like. You're going to have to help us with this partnership logo. How does how should it be co-branded? So, so I love all of that. Mm. And I think it's important for leaders as they move up the ladder, I guess, to become CMO, that they still spend time doing some of that work. Mm. I actually, as I've gotten older, and I think also the move to Hong Kong, I love the development of the next generation, Graham. That's what I found. You know, in, in Asia, if I'm honest, we do some great campaign work, but none of it is done by me. It's mm. done by the brilliant young leaders and marketing leaders that we've, we've brought into the company. So I probably spend 80% of my time coaching and guiding and clearing roadblocks for these talented marketers to, to do the work that they do. And, mm. and I love it. It's clear that you love it. Uh, now, I'm keen to know, you, you've obviously interviewed quite a lot of people in your time as a, as a team leader um, to, to hire them into your teams and the various jobs that you've had. What would be your favourite interview question that you like to ask? It bothers people sometimes, actually, when I ask this question, because they're expecting, a, you know, what are the challenges or what should we look out for you comes to some of your development areas. But I just ask them, hey, what annoys you? What annoys you about your current job? <laughs> and, and what should we not do to annoy you if you if you take on this role? <laughs> well, I've never heard that. That's the first. I quite like it. Yeah. Uh, People are a bit thrown by it, but then they're like, oh, okay. And then I yeah. go, you know, if you tell me what annoys you and I'm going to tell you what annoys me, then let's hope that somewhere in there we're, we're going to be able to be honest with each other enough to go, actually, I really like you. When you start this job, I know the things that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, finally, if you had a message to the Natalie who graduated in 1997, what would your message to her be, do you think? Stay curious. You don't have to make a lifelong decision at that age. Uh, finishing university is just another really minor chapter in your, you know, short life. If you happen to find your calling, fantastic. But I wasn't fortunate enough to find my calling straight out of uni. So I stayed curious and just did work, did said yes to all the types of work and finally found my calling in marketing and have loved it. And don't think that you have to be a COO or a CEO or a CFO or one of the other C-suite titles if actually your passion is in marketing. It's, a, it's been a great career journey so far. And you found your calling. I think there are a lot of brands, a lot of people who are very pleased that you found your calling because <laughs> um, we all do need people like you in marketing. Thank you so much for coming on Deep CV Diving. It's been an absolute pleasure interviewing you. Thank you, Graham, for having me.